smoking on gas, got me slung, chasing Z's, chasing Z's, I've been high up off my ass, magic beans, magic beans, flying solo, Mr. Dolo, what you mean, what you mean, grab control and made your time, do you read, do you read, smoking on gas, got me slung, chasing Z's, chasing Z's, I've been high up off my ass, magic beans, magic beans, flying solo, Mr. Dolo, what you mean, what you mean, Hey, Bizarros. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Bizarro Aficionado. I'm Gaz Morgan. we got a great show for you today. So, myself, Ro, and Ashira have caught up with Joshua Kutchin. So, and I won't lie, I was a little fanboyish, because when I first started this podcast, he was someone I really wanted to get on the show, and I uh, finally got him on the show, sort of. So we all met up at the studios for Project Archivist, and uh, we talked to him from there. And we cover a wide range of topics on here, from high strangeness to the thousand-year pygmy genocide at the hands of birds. Yes, you've heard that right. Uh, how we perceive reality. Josh does an incredible impression of Terrence McKenna. And we talk, is Bigfoot a flesh and blood creature, or does that just not make sense anymore? So we got a great show for you, and um, before we get into that, we should cover some new things. So uh, one of the new things is I've started a YouTube channel. Right now, I only have season three episodes up there, so the first three episodes of season three are up there. But uh, go subscribe to the YouTube, because there will be coming um, exclusive content on there including video content. I'm not sure when that'll start, but it will be soon. And also some uh, you know, remastered editions. I, I know in particular the, uh, the, the first interview I ever did with Andrew Leivold about the uh, search for Wang Wang, who was a uh, primordial dwarf. So he was, he was only like two feet, something like that. And he was a James Bond action star in the Philippines. So if you haven't listened to that, it's probably because... It was the worst editing job I have ever done because I didn't know how to edit. So you got me in one ear and Andrew in the other, and it's super annoying to listen to. And uh, if you have already listened to it, I apologize, but I will eventually be remastering that and I'll put that over on YouTube. It'll probably go up here as well. Podbean does all the work for me and transfers it into a video, so I'm going to take advantage of that once it's remastered. But uh, So that's new. I'm also on Twitter, so if you tweet, twat, twat, whatever you do over there, I think I have one follower, and it's probably Roe. <laughs> so if you're over there, hop on there. Also, uh, there's been a huge increase of listeners in the UK. So if you're listening and you're over there in the UK, thank you so much. I really appreciate you jumping in and listening to the show. Spread the word. So many new countries and so many more listeners, and the show is really growing leaps and bounds. So I, I can't thank all of you enough for uh, giving me a chance and hearing me out. And uh, I am redoing my studio, so the sound should get even better by the uh, August episode. Uh, we have a big episode coming up for July, in which uh, Nathan will be back from the Penny Royal podcast to co-host with me as we interview Adam Go Rightly about the uh, similarities, high strangeness. And connections to Penny Royal to the MLK and JFK assassination. So that'll be coming up for the July episode. So big new things coming, and uh, I get to completely redo the studio after uh, after this week. So that'll be fun. 
just adding uh adding a board and better mics and the ability to have people in the studio and eventually there will be a segment on the YouTube channel called Live from the Guest Room which will just be um video recording of when we're recording. So, but only when I have multiple people actually in the studio and I'm not just not just myself sitting there interviewing someone and Skype or what have you, because that would be really boring to look at. Also trying to get together video segments for the future. Not sure if that will happen this year. If so, it won't be it'll fall for sure. And that'll be when I'm on my on explorations in the different weird places. They'll be shorts. They're not going to be super long or anything like that. Under a half hour for sure. And uh, just showing you different weird places that we can explore, like the Cave of Kelpius or uh, the Stone Living Room. Several abandoned towns in, in uh, PA and Maryland that we can explore, and I'll bring you along. So, all right, I have blabbed enough. Let's get into the show, and I'll see you on the other side. So, we are back, and we have returning after quite some time. It's been, I want to say, a couple of years since you've been on the show, Josh. We got Joshua Cutchin with us, and you have come out with two books since the last time that we've talked, and those are Where the Footprints Ends, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and you wrote that with Timothy Renner over at Strange Familiars, and now you have a hard t- you know, it's because of you. I never used to say familiars correctly. And because of you, I now say it properly. And there's a reason why behind that. I'll let you know because you used to tease me about it. Way back when I was a kid and I used to play Dungeons and Dragons all the time and you played a magic user, you were able to get a pet familiar in the game. And my friends always pounded into my head that it was pronounced familiar. And then I know the difference between the two. I know what familiar is and the other word. But for whatever reason, there was a brain block there for years that I just prevented me from saying it properly. It's like the guy in South Park that has the speech impairment that can't say the word planetarium. He can't say the second T sound in the word. I don't know. It's weird. Don't ask. I don't understand. Uh, no, that, that's completely okay. I, I both Ren Collier and I had this thing that happened where where um we would talk to like people in the magical community and we kept on saying side reel instead of side aerial for, uh-huh. for like uh-huh. multiple conversations and no one corrected us. And we both found out and we're like, Oh, we're, we're idiots. So <laughs> I find out about myself a lot. Anyways. So you wrote this book with Tim. I'm going to get like, like peanut butter and chocolate. Yes. And runner. So let's get right to the point right off the bat and jump right into the main question. How many people in the Bigfoot community did you piss off by writing these books? You talk in these books about, situations where of Bigfoot sightings and things like that, where they don't follow the normal, um, I saw Bigfoot in the woods or we, this, this happened. You go a little bit further with the high strangeness and cover the cases where people see strange lights, where they have poltergeist like experiences or, um, which will go into how the book got its title, but you take it a step further and say, yes, there's our cases, but these are also cases too. And they're kind yeah. of get sidelined or explained away or just marginalize, for lack of a better term, because they don't fit into a certain person's viewpoint. So how much kickback have you guys received for these books? You know, a, a lot less than I thought we were going to get. You know, Timothy and I remember we were bracing for it. And there was an instance of 
a very prominent, um, like top five most prominent cryptozoologists, um, who had gotten wind of a story that we were going to include and started making some assumptions about the book. And I commented on uh, that particular cryptozoologist website, and I'm like, look, you, you can criticize the merits of the story, but like he was insinuating things about the the conclusions we were drawing, and I'm like, look, the thing's not even finished yet. Like, don't do this. Um, so that was the most obvious thing, you know, a couple of strange Amazon reviews here and there, but I was kind of, I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get more middle fingers than we did, (laughs) but, but I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, um, it's kind of been paranormal Bigfoot time for a while now. Um, it's getting to the point where people are being more open about these things, um, and it's also just Bigfoot time in general. I mean, I, I would argue that, you know, in the 90s, you'd drive around and you'd see gray alien heads everywhere, right? On, like, you know, bumper stickers and stuff like that. And, and Bigfoot's kind of in that place now. Like, the, you know, today on the way to the conference that I'm, I'm going to, like, I saw, like, two different cars with Bigfoot stickers. Like, like far away from the – like, at the beginning of my journey, not even towards the conference. So, yeah, I think it's just sort of been Bigfoot time. And people have been talking about – um People have been talking about the strangeness, and it's the kind of thing where you get the uh, you get the researchers after their speeches, at, you know, the researchers after their speeches at the conference to the bar and get a couple of drinks, and then they're like, "Yeah, you know, I don't know what to make of this, but we we see really we see ghost lights where we do our Bigfoot research, or yeah. you know, or like you know, I I I can't believe it, but my friend, you know, we were being our, our tent was being attacked by Bigfoot, and I couldn't wake my friend up, and it's like, oh, it's, you know, that's interesting. That's right out of you know." Both fairy lore and UFO lore. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think the community is getting a lot more um, open to these ideas. And, you know, something I want to emphasize is that, like, I don't want Bigfoot to be this weird, uncatchable, you know, woo woo creature. I, I don't. Like, that's, that's, it's really disappointing to me because I'm never going to be vindicated, right? If that's the case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Timothy and I, um, just following the, following the data where it goes and, to most cryptozoologists, they'd tell you that these these aspects are outliers, but um, there's a lot of them. I mean, we could have probably yeah. done another five volumes of this. This is just the best, some of the best stories that we could find, and even the stuff that you know. Timothy and I didn't want it to be this way, but we kind of end up siding with a lot of the skeptics because it's like, okay, yeah, I know that. It's people don't find bear carcasses in the woods, and that's what you know. Bigfoot researchers always say, "But when, we, when why don't we have a body?" Well, you don't find bear carcasses. Yeah, okay, I get it. But people have found bear carcasses at yeah. some point, um, and so you know, it, it's an interesting place to be, seeing all the skeptical arguments as being valid, but also hearing you know witnesses who sound like they're being very truthful, and then like trying to thread that needle of like, well, maybe if we look at this from a different angle that might help us to at least uh, process some of these skeptical arguments and reconcile those differences. That's exactly what I was saying to Rojan and Ash earlier. In most scientific study areas need that from time to time. They need someone to come in and just be like, look, there's these other ones, there's these other sightings that are completely different from what you're seeing. And whether you believe in them or you don't believe in them, they're here. So what do they mean? <laughs> and if you're not going to look at them, then you're doing this in reverse, creating a theory and then trying to find facts that, well, you know, substantiate that it, other it, than it, seeing everything. 
Yeah, it's like an early church model, right? Right, right, <laughs> it really, exactly. It really is. Yeah. You can't, you, can't, you can't go out and ask people what was your experience and check these stories out and just say, you know what, I'm not going to – I'm not going to support this because it doesn't fit into my preconceived area of facts um, right. or beliefs or anything like that, um, which I guess would be a good place to go with, like, the title of the book. The title of the book is, you know, Where the Footprints End. I was thinking it was like that uh, that book of kids' poems where the sidewalk ends. I thought that was why you guys did it. And in actuality, it's a story about people tracking Bigfoot tracks, and then the tracks just end out in the middle of nowhere. Um and then you bring that up to people and you get like, well, the Bigfoot must have just leaped really far into the woods or something like that. You know, like like it's the Incredible Hulk out in the middle of a field you know, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So now, there, there's a little bit of shell silver suit in there. I mean, there really is. Uh, you know, the, 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 I think what, you know, obviously that's one of the most enduring conundrums in, in – uh, Big footery um, is is the abruptly ending trackway, uh, and it's sort of emblematic of a lot of the things that we talk about in the books. And to me, that's like it's also sort of symbolic because our best evidence for these things are the footprints, right? It's like I, I used to used to joke like every other paranormal discipline has Bigfoot envy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because like it's 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 the best, most reliable, most scientifically scrutinized paranormal um, evidence that we have, and some of it's really really good. Yeah. Um, some of it's consistent with primate anatomy, dermal ridges, mid tarsal breaks, stuff that's like primate anatomy, but not human primate anatomy, like really cool stuff. But then you have these footprints that end. So where the footprints end, where you know, take science as far as you can, and then you reach the end of those footprints, you reach the end of that scientific evidence, and you're like, well. Can we look to folklore to fill this gap? Can we look to, you know, esoterica to fill this gap? There's a lot of parallels. What you bring up, I, I believe you bring that up in one of the books, is that there's so many parallels between between all of this stuff, between the cross-pollination of all paranormal. I mean, you've got the big three. You've got ghosts, you've got Bigfoot, and you've got UFOs. You know, and then you've got all the little weird cryptids and stuff that are, are, that are below all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got people like us that are kind of in the middle of all of them, like looking at all of the different things. But you have, with Bigfoot, you have the parallels with the UFO world. Like the holy grail of the UFO world is we need a craft. We need some kind of physical craft. We need something. We can't, yes, there's burn marks here on the ground. There's prints right here, but this is not a physical craft. Somebody could have faked this this way. With Bigfoot, sure. you get, you've got people that have hair samples and things like that, but even when you send them out, it's just going to come back as unknown, you know, unknown whatever, because they don't have a database to compare it to. Except exactly. for this seasons of Expedition Bigfoot. They got that. Help me, Ash, because I probably forget it. But I know it was part bonobo, and what was the other part? Oh man! Um, I know I would have to I look. Can't remember I either. actually had this in my notes, <laughs> but it, it came back. I don't know whether it was human bonobo or whether no, it was bonobo chimp. It was yeah. It was it was there was chimp mixed in with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was I bonobo was, chimp. Oh man, I wish I could remember. But yeah the, yeah, the chimp was the majority of it. Right, and then it was backwoods Kentucky. So I, they're not chimps living there. Well, no. no. See, see, what happened is right before the Kentucky Goblins, the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin Scare, there was yes. a circus train that crashed, right? And then there's this population of chimps in in, uh, in in Kentucky that's just living in Kentucky. So that's oh, that must get. be it. Bigfoot and the Kelly Hopkinsville in Mammoth Goblins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, no, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a weird place because that's like one of the biggest pushbacks that I get from people is like. 
you know. Well, ghosts don't leave footprints. Ghosts don't leave blood. Ghosts don't leave hair. And it's like, well, my house I get what they're blood. No. <laughs> well, I, well, I get what they're trying to say, but I mean, yeah. ghosts do leave footprints. Like that's like one of the most common ways of Victorian ghost hunting was just put you down know, talcum powder. Like ghost like hunters still hands holster stuff back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and if if you can sort of recontextualize these these um these other ephemera, you know, hair and blood, in sort of the same way that you think of like a ports or 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 um ectoplasm, like maybe maybe that's a model too. Again, I'm, Tim and I are both really agnostic about this. Like, yeah, I know this sounds I know this sounds crazy, but the point is that people. It sounds crazy because no one has really seriously engaged with these ideas. And that's all we're trying to do is just get the conversation to start, you know? Yeah, for sure. So you have these similarities that intertwine between all of this stuff. You have, like, um, the Ruby Ridge story where you have uh, people – is it Ruby Ridge? I believe it was Ruby Ridge where they, uh, the guys – where the guy and his kid were out and like out in the field and then they saw, like, these glowing balls of light and then there was the Bigfoot-like creatures walking along the fence doing the weird, mm-hmm. like, howl kind of things. That was uh, one of Stan Gordon's stories, I believe. And was it the Ruby the Ruby Creek incident? I believe. I'm, yeah, I'm probably getting. Yeah, I must say, Ruby Ridge was. I think. Another I know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, like, I don't know. There's so many names popping <laughs> through my head at this moment. But, um, no, you're good. You're good. But in that situation, you had people that saw, you know, orbs of light flying around, which you see, you know, that which was also one of the things that you heard happen with the Mothman story. But in that situation, as with other many Bigfoot sightings, you have people that actually physically shot the thing and nothing happened. It just kind of was like, yeah, all right, whatever, you know. That all you got. Yeah, you know, like, and there's some stories where it doesn't even phase the creature. It just kind of, it, it, yeah. just, it just like, yeah, you know, they just keep going about doing that's, whatever they're going to do. That's what well, boggles my mind. Oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Ash. Well, no, I was just going to add to his. There's also been cases where they've been shot, died, and then they go back out there to look at the body, and the body's gone. <laughs> yeah, like every, every time, like literally, yeah, every time. just an Easter egg in our construct. <laughs> I mean, like you know, it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because yeah. in conjunction with the lights, like that, like that's like sort of the in a lot of ways that's the paranormal holy grail right like everything is yeah. lights so i've kind of played with the idea that you know if you've ever played a video game like back when i was playing like you know jedi knight on pc i'd always download a bunch of mods and inevitably something would like mess with the the base game and like it would, a texture would go missing or something and it would just be like a wall of pink or just a blank wall you know and i kind right, of wonder right. yeah and i kind of wonder if like lights aren't all paranormal phenomena with the texture missing <laughs> You know, that's the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Oh, I was going to say something. Oh, the bulletproof thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's another good example of the sort of like reverse engineering from an assumption that people do. Um, like, yes, I understand that bears have a, a thick layer of, of fat, and then they don't react to small arms fire, but um, you know I've seen a bear hit with bird shot at point blank range, and it, it the bear staggers. You know it reacts. Yeah, sure. To say nothing of the fact that people hit people hit Bigfoot with like high powered hunting rifles, and they they oh. literally just like walk away. Yeah. yeah. And then people will say, oh well, it's it's skin must be really thick or armored or something. And it's like I found this really interesting uh, journal article. Um, 
that was a study on dermal layers of primates and inevitably the more hair on a primate, the thicker the skin is in those areas that are covered right. by hair. It's evidence, you know, if you ever yeah. knock your scalp, like you don't even feel like you've been cut and it's like, you know, a giant bloody gash. So, so it's, it's, it's inconsistent with that, with that model and much more consistent with things like, you know, you shoot at a ghost and it doesn't do anything. Uh, sure. I was, I was, I was, my mind was boggled when I found these stories of bulletproof witches, you know, back in, back in right. some of these uh, English witch trials, which I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I think y'all know my work and me enough. Like I don't, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about this stuff. I, I find the, I find the similarities and the parallels more interesting than like the objective reality of these things. But like you've got people, um, I think during all the Cromwell stuff, someone allegedly shot a witch point blank in the chest with a musket ball that bounced off of, off of her chest. Which is made so, of wood. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And therefore, <laughs> And therefore, therefore, she's a witch. She's a witch. <laughs> and therefore, bridge, and therefore, she's Bigfoot. Bigfoot. <laughs> right. Well, emus are the same way. I mean, there was that. There was literally a war in Australia against emus. I think me and Gary covered it on a show where they were just overrun by all these emus, and it took like ten rounds of a gun to put these things down because all of their organs are more internalized and they have a right. really thick flesh. And Australia eventually gave up. It was costing them too much yeah. in ammo. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, they're terrifying, aren't they? That's but, for me. It's a renewable food source, in my opinion. Sure, let them let them populate. Let's go. <laughs> it's funny that you bring it. that up, Ro, because one of the things I wanted to talk to Josh about was, was the thousand-year genocide of pygmies at the hands of cranes. The what? What the hell are you talking yeah. about? The, the thousand-year war: pygmies versus birds. Ro, you've heard this. Come on. No, I don't think I have. Really? Yeah. Really? And yeah. what's so not? only the strangeness of the story, but the fact that whether you're in Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, or the Cherokees of South, uh, Southeast United States, they all have stories about pygmies and birds. Pygmies and... Well, are you talking about the little people, like Pukwajis, or... No? Um, no. I'm, well, I'm so lost right now. If you could see the look on my yeah, face, it's so, just like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I don't have it in front of me, but for over a thousand years, it was there are stories in multiple cultures about a war that went on between a little-statured people called different things by different cultures yes. and large birds being either cranes or storks. And there's thought that it prob could be the origination of why we think storks bring babies when in reality they were probably stealing them from the pygmies. But I'll let I'll let Josh talk a little on that. This is the weirdest turn of events that I expected to happen on this show. I did not at any time expect to be talking about pygmies versus birds. But hey, let's go with no, it. I yeah. It's it's funny because like I'd heard this for a while and I, I finally figured out a way to tackle it to my um satisfaction, which is exactly what what he, well, not exactly, but it's along the lines of what was mentioned. Yeah, both Homer and Aristotle talked about this, um, yeah. quite matter-of-factly, and apparently, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is white people making stuff up, but um, supposedly, you know, uh, Spaniards came to like South Carolina in the 1520s, and they were told the exact same story about uh, these pygmies being locked in this eternal battle with the birds, um, riding little horses into battle to fight the birds. Yes. Um, and I think that the suggestion that it's somehow related to the sort of crane stork motif is really prescient. And the reason that we yeah. have that crane slash stork motif is because, um, 
birds aren't real. We all know they're drones. Um, oh, that's no. right. That's right. <laughs> no, no um, birds. But but in all seriousness, um, you would be hard pressed to find a more universal, um, yeah, a more universal symbol than the bird for the soul, right? Or more specifically, too, like the bird for a psychopomp, which is a lot of what my next book that I'm working on is talking about is the psychopomp lore. Um, in case anybody doesn't know who's listening, a psychopomp is um, basically the, the the god or the entity or the the presence that guides you from life into the afterlife. So think Anubis, think Hermes, think et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And there are like dozens – not hundreds of these different figures across different religions. Um, and interestingly enough, a, a lot of different cultures point to specific animals. There are a lot of animal psychopomps, but they point to some specific animals as psychopomps. And the three most common by far are horses. You know, you have a lot of this, you know, the horse drawing the sun across the sky and kings are buried with horses. Horses were a common grave good. You have horses, you have dogs, and you have birds because there's this idea that birds are sort of this uh, messenger between, you know, our world and the spirit world because yeah, they can the fly. Yeah, the basis for the movie The Crow, that where the crow, yeah, the Native sh- American legend where the crow comes to guide you to the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, exact, same same idea. And, and, of course, you've got this is all sort of intertwined with intertwined. <laughs> Yes, Thunderbirds. Yes, I don't mean the wine. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I thought, wait, do you mean the marionettes, or do you? That's mean what the, I thought of at first. The, mar- I was the, marionettes. the marionettes. No, no, not the marionettes. No, no, my God! Wow, that's an obscure uh, ref. That's something that I would say. Wow. <laughs> now I'm thinking um, of Team America, Gary. <laughs> you're welcome. I promise I'm going somewhere. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Um, so also, you know, like shamanic flight, right? A common shamanic symbol is the bird. They take on the wings of the bird. They fly to the other world. Um, so you've got this uh, this bird psychopomp motif, which actually, like, there are vulture effigies at Gobekli Tepe that they actually think were, like, some early psychopomp motifs, um, some early psychopomp representations of birds. So birds carry souls, which is where we get the um, – which is where we get the – probably the baby stork motif, um, you know, their right. water bearers from the well of souls, right? But what I find interesting is that um, – and again, this isn't new, although I think I've probably delved into it in this next book more than anybody else has, um, is that, you know, the soul was conceptualized as um, being a small homunculus, being a small person. And this is another super universal motif. Um, probably has a lot of influence on why we think of, you know, the fairy folk as being small, um, because man, oh man, oh man, the fae folk are tied to death uh, in more ways than I thought before starting on this project, but... So we've got the psychopomps battling the souls and being, I presume, in these myths, you know, taken away by these these pygmies being taken away by the birds. So I kind of halfway wonder if what we're seeing isn't uh, an, uh, an allegory for souls trapped on Earth, you know, resisting being taken to the afterlife by by these psychopompic cranes. Yeah, because every religion has some form of that or another. It's funny you bring you guys bring up these pygmies and stuff because later on in the show I was gonna say I was gonna say that's one of the book I would like to see you write at some point or another is how all of these cross cultures all have these stories of little people, um, yeah, and how prevalent they are and it does tie in with Bigfoot folklore because again I mentioned the puckwudgies because 
for a while, that was one of the things like in that area of the United States. Um, it's it's like the Midwest. It's around Pennsylvania, et cetera, um, where they have these legends of these small hairy creatures that are like little goblins that just come out and wreak terror and kill people and do all of these things. And they look like little Sasquatches for the most part. So mm-hmm. and you're, you with your fairy folklore knowledge and mm-hmm. in-depth study of all this, I was like, man, that'd be a really good topic for Josh to, to cover at this point. But I think that you're pretty much bigfooted out after all of this. I would assume. <laughs> oh man, I'm so bigfooted out. <laughs> I never want to talk. I remember. I remember when the second volume came out. I think I posted it somewhere, and I was like, "And I might be done with Bigfoot for a couple of years." <laughs> I would imagine. Um, look, I mean, you... because I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, I, I, I don't think that you get to a certain point, and there's nothing more to say, but. You know, I might I might talk about Bigfoot. Well, I am going to talk about Bigfoot in regards to some new projects. But as far as focusing on Bigfoot for anything, I don't think I'm ever going to do anything else just focusing on Bigfoot again, barring some sort of giant revelation. So how much cross-pollination between your fairy folklore and Bigfoot did you come across? Is that what got you into this topic? Because this was definitely not a topic that I expected you to go into. You you cover some pretty strange and obscure stuff, but it just seemed like Bigfoot was a little bit too mainstream for you to, to, to go into. And yet here you do, you know, here you go, two volumes of the stuff. So what well, led you into it? Well, the, the project really had its Genesis in, uh, in the work of David Weatherly, his Woodnox volume three. Uh, there are two chapters, both from Timothy and I, that originally appeared in that uh, that collection, and Timothy's was about he was sort of riffing on an idea that I had a while back, which was like you've got to look at the company that these things keep. And what I meant that at the time was the fact that like, okay, I guess that you know the twentieth century's most prolific magician just so happened to choose a house beside a plesiosaur preserve, right? I guess that's just what that means. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, as opposed to if you think about the company, these these phenomena, these strange things keep, it makes a lot more sense to me that Alistair Crowley got Boleskine House because Loch Ness is a weird place. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. But that, that seems, so, so that's sort of what I was referring to, but Timothy took that and ran with it and found, like, in his little corner of York County, Pennsylvania, Leprechauns, uh, ghost houses, UFOs, yeah. Bigfoot, all in this, you know, part of Pennsylvania. Which, you know, some people will say that's cherry picking and trying to conflate things. But, you know, as Tim says, it's rare to see a UFO. It's rare to see Bigfoot. Seeing them both together is orders of magnitude rare. Um, so it does, I think it does imply that there's some sort of connection, uh, even if they're not all the same thing. So so that's where that came from. That was Timothy's chapter. My chapter in that Woodnox volume was uh, about this Wildnisgeist idea, which is the fact that if you take a lot of these, what the BFRO reports, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, what, what, what they call Class B reports, which are everything but a Sasquatch, right? So footprints, voices, thrown rocks, knocks in the woods, strange smells, um, all these things, and you put them in a house, it's a poltergeist infestation, right? So the idea is that maybe some of... Um, some of the things that people experience in the woods are poltergeist phenomena that because of their setting, they're drawing a completely different conclusion, even though the, the, the activity is 
you know, practically identical. This gets a little bit more complicated when you consider the fact that there are some reports of seances where large hairy hominids show up. Um, Stan Gooch and Frannick Kliske both come to mind. So, so this was sort of the genesis for this. And Timothy's like, we can riff off that. We can ask, you know, David Weatherly kindly granted us permission to republish our two chapters. And then it was like, okay, well, let's do Weird Bigfoot. And I don't know why we, I suppose the reason that I wanted to make sure that I compared, you know, Bigfoot to fairies, Bigfoot to witches, Bigfoot to UFOs, Bigfoot to this and that and the other, um, were two things that really stuck out in my mind. Number one was the braiding of hair, uh, which is something that, again, I think it's a really culture-dependent thing. Um, more or less, I, 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 I feel like 80 to 90% of the time people forget to comb their horse's hair, and they wake up in the morning and it's all <laughs> knotted up, and they say, like, that's where that idea came from. Because in Europe, if you, you know, found a horse with its hair knotted or, dare I say, braided, um, the next morning you would assume that it was anybody from, you know, uh, Demeter to witches to fairies that had done it. And, you know, I'll be damned. You find Bigfoot organizations here in America that say, Oh, Bigfoot braids horses manes. <laughs> that and is true. So, Cause you can imagine when they're, when they're romping around in their stalls and stuff, they're probably flipping their head around and at some point. It's going to, Especially when it turns into dread like hair, it's going to start wrapping around itself and almost seem like it has a braided look to it. Well, and see, I, I could dismiss that, except I did find a story of a Russian researcher who watched an almas like climb into a stable and braid horses hair, you know, which is, it's like, okay, so somebody actually saw this happen. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's interesting, even if, even if that's not what's happening, it says a lot about the powers that we give these entities that we ascribe this, you know, this natural phenomena to something to, to it, it's our boogeyman is what braids horses hair. So that was one thing. The other thing is there's this podcast, and this is the first time I'd heard about this, it's the first time I'd heard about missing time and Bigfoot encounters. Um, but there's a podcast called Sasquatch Chronicles. Um, and it's been a really interesting journey to see the host's, um, opinion change. Uh, Wes Germer. Wes started out being extremely critical of anybody who talked about Bigfoot woo. Um, like by, like making fun of them, calling them flute players, you know, <laughs> uh, like the idea that you're going to go out and commune with the forest giants, right? And he saw some lights at one of his Bigfoot sighting areas and he sort of got more interested in these topics. He was like, no, it's, it's kind of the, the rule more than the exception, especially if people have like, longitudinal sightings like habituators like they tend to see strange things it's the, the hunters and the roadside crossings those are the ones who like say or you no know, what i saw was an animal but the people who spend time around these things and have multiple encounters are the ones who had the strange stuff happen so um wes was describing his encounter with his brother and i'll never forget um they're talking about it and they and they were talking to the the then the then co-hosts and they said it was the strangest thing like it was this harrowing encounter it's really interesting listen um they're like i could have sworn that we spent you know uh maybe 40 minutes up there on the mountain like we got home four hours later <laughs> and that's chilling right i mean it's it's chilling the yeah, idea that sounds that like being fairy right it's exactly it's being fairy led and or you know, inducted <laughs> Yeah, it, it is kind of incongruent with a lot of folklore because you associate, generally speaking, generally speaking, missing time doesn't happen unless you travel to the other world, whatever that is, right? So unless you are abducted to fairyland, to a UFO, time slip, et cetera. Like you don't, but still, it's interesting. It's missing. And sure enough, there are missing time Bigfoot encounters. Not a lot. 
Um, but it, it happens enough um, that it's, 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 it's really strange. So with those two things, you start to say, okay, I've seen this happen. I've seen this exact same thing happen with the UFO phenomena and fairies. There's got to be some other threads to pull on. And, uh, you know, once you sort of strip away the idea that all fairies are tiny little ladies with wings, you start to see a lot more similarities, you know. I mean, a lot of troll descriptions sound like Bigfoot. Um, a lot of small fairies that I didn't, I didn't realize this at the time, but like a lot of small fairies are, especially in eyewitness accounts, described as being little tiny hairy people. You yeah, know? that's um, what I was saying about the well, Pukwudgies. Yeah, yeah exactly. and I was mm-hmm. yeah, and I was also wanting to ask you. So, what are your thoughts on the fact that well, not the fact, but the idea that this could possibly be a blended sort of phenomena where, um, you know, some things could be flesh and blood but have spectral aspects, but then other parts could be some for some form of maybe a shapeshifter or talpa like entity that basically takes on the form of something like that in order to get attention to stay in its form what are your thoughts on that really glad that you brought that up because that's something that we critically do in a lot of these different paranormal topics and i think it's a real mistake um we say that you know there's the mundane and there's the fantastic and that fantastic has to all be one thing or another right so when i talk to people about ufos i just talked about this today with somebody at the conference um you know 80 to 90 percent are misidentification Maybe another two to five percent are outright hoaxes, because um, I I do not think hoaxing happens as often as we think it does. It does happen, but I think that most time people are being earnest. Um, but that remaining, you know, fifteen percent or so, or whatever I've left for myself, that's genuinely anomalous. Now, what is you know out of that? It's probably a mixture of unorthodox aircraft, you know, slash experimental aircraft, poorly understood or newly discovered natural phenomena, possibly psi effects. Um, you know, uh, possibly spirit phenomena. And you know what? I'm feeling generous tonight. Maybe a little bit of it's aliens too. Um, so this idea that you're talking about specifically, um, uh, yeah, I'm really open to this idea. I feel like Tim isn't as open when I've talked about it. <laughs> um, but I'm really open to this idea that, uh, the, the Bigfoot is a mask that these things wear. It's the idea that the, the comparison that I make is that, you know, if you look at the work of Mike Cleland, um, Mike, doesn't deny that there are natural owls out there that fly around and eat mice and, and crap and die, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, he's not denying that, but at the same time, there are owls in some of the stories that he's collected. Um, some of the stories that he's, some of the experiences he's, he's had that are really, really strange and really do seem to imply that natural animals are being used somehow or that something adopts the pageantry of the owl as a symbol, as a skin, as a mask. So I, I kind of like to have my cake and eat it too. And think sometimes, well, you know, because again, that physical evidence really does point to there being uh, a, you know, a primate out there. So sometimes I wonder, maybe there are like, you know, uh, 300 Bigfoot out there and for whatever reason just as whatever lies behind the UFO phenomena might pick a deer a bird an owl whatever as a for lack of a better term screen memory or to sh- or as a, a form to shapeshift in maybe the same thing happens with Bigfoot and that's my way to have my cake and eat it too I do think that is a pretty pretty egregious violation of Occam's razor, right? Which uh, <laughs> is 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 not well, it's not you know people misunderstand Occam's razor, which is they think that it means the simplest explanation is the most likely to be true. That is not the definition of Occam's razor. Um, 
It's that you don't multiply variables unnecessarily, right? And man, saying saying that there are Bigfoot and there are also these other just other intelligence using Bigfoot as a mask is multiplying a lot of variables unnecessarily. <laughs> um, but you know that's 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 my concession uh, that that I, I I make, and I kind of in my rich fantasy world that's that's what's going on. I doubt it, but that's that's what's going on. Nice. Microphone was off. Okay. okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this thing. I was like, quick wow, time. they hate me. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no it's this. This is I like. I can listen to you talk for hours. Um, mm-hmm. You do um, bring up something in the book. I'm not sure if it was you or Tim, but one of you coined a term, um, Wodengeist or Wildengeist or something. Some kind oh, of a right, geist. Right. Oh, wilderness geist. Vild- yeah, wilderness geist. Wilderness. Uh, geist. So just uh, wilderness poltergeist. Yeah, or wilderness spirit. I was going to say because some of the some of this stuff sounds a lot like 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 forest spirit activity, like when it's like you said earlier. Well, if it happened in a house, it would be a poltergeist. But since it happens out in the woods and this thing is seen, therefore Bigfoot. Um, so did Timothy create that term, or did you create that term? And how did it all come about? Just just coming up with this idea of of like um, a forest spirit because that's the way a lot of a Native American cultures and a lot of Aboriginal cultures look at these things. They don't look at them as flesh and blood creatures necessarily. They're completely cool cool with them apparently, but they just see them as something else that's always been there and has always existed alongside by side with man. But if I correct me if I'm wrong, they've always viewed them as some kind of a spirit or something like that. Well, I mean, so I'm not saying that you did this. I'm saying that a lot of people do this. You know, you, you can't speak monolithically about Native American culture, right? So it's like, oh, they, they, I feel you know, Native Americans <laughs> think, no, 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 you're, Native Americans think Bigfoot's a spirit. Well, no, there, there are a lot of different beliefs and some of them do lean towards it being an animal or an animal with strange abilities or a person that's shape shifted or a spirit. Like there are a bunch of different things, but a lot of them, I'd say a lot of different tribal, uh, conceptualizations of Bigfoot uh, tend to say that there's something unnatural about it. And I, I, I kind of didn't intend for this to happen, but there is a, a little bit of a uh, of a decolonized cryptozoology thread that kind of runs through this runs through this book because you have a bunch of cryptozoologists who like are completely open to the idea of Bigfoot, but when these strange, superstitious primitives say that it can disappear, well, certainly that must just mean that Bigfoot is very adept at adept at hiding, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Notice when in reality, like the, these these tribes these tribes people know their environment. Better than you ever will, you know. Hide and seek um, so worldwide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when they, so when they say it disappears, maybe they mean it just effing disappeared, you know. Um, so yeah. there's always been, you know, I wasn't the first person to think about poltergeist and Bigfoot. There's always been sort of a there's always been sort of a, a through line noticing that there's it, it's context dependent, right? And and there aren't a lot of stories of Bigfoot actually hitting trees with a rock or a stick and producing wood knocks. I'm sure that there are a handful. I don't recall any off the top of my head. There are some stories of Bigfoot throwing rocks, but most often people are hit with rocks and they look around them and they don't see a darn thing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so that was an idea that I was playing with. Um, and I, I, I use this tool called Google translate and I went to Google translate and I put in, Wilderness, and it came with Vildness, and <laughs> I'm being such a smartass. Um, no, it was just I was just um, you know I was familiar with Poltergeist and uh, you know Zeitgeist. 
poltergeist. Um, so I was like, well, you know, let's, let's see if we can do like wilderness poltergeist or wilderness spirit and see what that comes up with. And sure enough, that was the nice little uh, portmanteau, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Um, one of the other things that really, uh, uh, well, two other things really sort of set me off on this path too. There was a, there's a, a conference paper by Tony Healy about, uh, Yowie sightings in, in Australia. And, this isn't exactly what I was looking at, but it was there was an incidence of someone having a yaoi on their property and having poltergeist phenomena at their house at the same time, and that does happen. That does happen as well. But like, yeah. so there was that that I that I started got me started thinking. And the other thing was that uh, you know in Seth Breedlove's um, Minerva Monster documentary, they talk about um, you know throwing rocks up on the tree tree line and like marking an X on a rock and having throwing it up there and having it thrown back to them, and. Uh, they said that at one point, or at several points, or at least at least once, um, that the rock that was thrown back to them was warm to the touch. Now, it really is logical to assume that that might uh, imply that the, the creature was holding the rock in its hand, warming up the rock with its hand, but uh, that's a really common thing in poltergeist accounts too. Is that these rocks that that like fall out of the fall out of the ceiling? Um, Again, I've never seen this myself. I'm just telling you what the literature says. Um, are warm to the touch. There's actually a really interesting, um, some really interesting footage from the Humpty Doo poltergeist of Australia, where they actually had some thermal imaging, and they caught the stone right after it had landed on the uh, ground, and you can see it uh, starting really warm, and then sort of the ambient temperature catching up with it, and it, it getting colder. So wow. that was a, that was a point to think about. Um, that's well. I wanted to touch on that for a second because that's interesting you said because that that warm feeling happens a lot with not just rocks being thrown at people in the forest, but also a ports that happen within mm-hmm. a haunted location as well. Many times when you find something that is moved its original position, if you get there soon after it's moved, it is warm to the touch. So that has, seems to be a commonality between things that a port. But also, I've had rocks thrown at me in my own backyard, and as they hit, they went up in the air and disappeared in the air. I originally was going to say Bigfoot when it started happening, but then as I watched the rocks go up into the sky and I watched them just disappear, I'm like, oh, that's not Bigfoot. That's got to be something more ghostly. Yeah, no, you bring up an excellent point, and I would sort of take that up. A little bit further and say, you know, there are plenty of cases of Fortean falls from the sky. I remember one of the incidences was somebody who had a red hot uh, length of chain falling on their car hood. I remember reading that somewhere. But the other thing is, like, when UFOs drop stuff, how often is it really, really hot, you know? Um, so, I mean, that, that's sort of where I am with a lot of these UFO meta materials. Is I think that they're probably more more akin to something like a ports, which is a really controversial stance to have in today's, you know, I mean, disclosure's happening this month, y'all, so I'm going to be proven wrong for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, we'll get to you know, that. <laughs> that's yeah, coming. People like, people like me and uh, me and Greg Bishop and some other people really, like uh, Miguel, Red Pill Junkie, we really think that uh, – we're le- we lean towards the idea that a lot of these meta materials are something more akin to a ports, um, but uh, you know, so you have you have the, you know these, this poltergeist phenomena in the woods. You have poltergeist phenomena in seances and these hairy hominids showing up in seances. Oddly enough, um, 
you know, you read, you read some of Colin Wilson's work on poltergeists and he describes the fact that like a lot of times the voices that are associated with poltergeist infestations start, you know, low and animalistic before sort of getting an actual sort of more humanistic voice in the cells, which sounds a lot like the, uh, the, you know, gibberish that people hear and attribute to Bigfoot in the forest, even though I'm and not the mimicry. sure. <laughs> yeah. And the mimicry. Yep, exactly. Um, so, but you know, at the same time, like a lot of the stuff happens after NDEs. A lot of the stuff happens after UFO sightings too. So I, I kind of start to think, I think people take that, that Vilnius guys chapter and they go, Oh, you know, Josh is suggesting that Bigfoot is a poltergeist, and that's not really – I don't think that's really what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm really trying to say is – No, you're saying it's a possible answer right. to a whole bunch of different exactly. phenomena. It's, it's a possible answer, and it's also like I think that uh, – like I think that poltergeist phenomena might just be um, – you know, if if the supernatural is a lake – like poltergeist phenomena is like getting wet, right? So the shaman can jump in and he has a towel waiting for him, right? <laughs> but if you fall into but if you fall into the lake and you get out, like you're gonna be wet for a while and that's that's poltergeist activity, right? That's sort of an idea that I played with. Um and so yeah. Act- oh, I'm sorry. I was saying poltergeist oh, activity good. gets connected to we got, you know, uh, pre teens and early teens in in haunted establishments. Um even onto places with emotional upheavals. So, what if poltergeist activity is a, is a is a psychic mental response to some other paranormal activity that's going on, or phenomenon in general that's going on, like a side effect? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. There. There. So there is. Um. There is in an historical association of. Poltergeist activity with adolescents and especially adolescent girls. Um, and of course, Bigfoot seems to have an interest in those two demographics. They seem really interested in children and interested in girls, especially. Um, I was pointing in the direction of some new work by a PhD student, Christopher Larson, um, who has uh, really sort of broadened that conceptualization and I think is doing great strides to prove that poltergeist phenomena really can happen uh, you know, spontaneous PK can happen whenever an individual's under stress, regardless of their yes. particular graphics. Um, cause there is a little bit of a weird kind of, I mean, look, if that's actually what happens, if poltergeists actually happen around young girls, that's fine. But there is, it kind of feels skeevy when you talk about it. Like, is this a, is this something that's a byproduct <laughs> from an earlier time or is this the way things sure. really are? So, and I, I never yeah. attribute just to women cause I think it, you know, you have it. There, I think I think exactly what you're saying that it harkens this other time, is when you limit it like that because that that it's all but saying, oh, you know, she's hysterical, she's a woman, you know. By Joe, these ladies, by Joe, give her some salts and let her lay down. Someone go grab the steely down. Charles, get the steely down and the dildos, please. I was going to ask about the eye shine. I'm very curious on your thoughts if you think it could be a form of either. My personal thought, it could be more like bioluminescence rather than the tapidum lucidum sort of effect. Because um, uh, I, you know, followed your research and then reading your book, it talks about how it changes color. And, I mean, that's not really an effect that you can see in uh, the layer of tapidum lucidum that's in the eyes. Uh, that's just more of a reflective response versus bioluminescence can 
potentially change caller. I was kind of curious what your thoughts on the eyeshine was. Yeah, so so I saw eyeshine was Tim's sort of thing that he he looked into a lot, and I, I, I while not speaking as intimately as he has, I, I've been on I've been on enough interviews with him that I've read the book <laughs> enough times. Um, yeah, I mean, it's when when people try to to, to sort of reverse engineer it from this um, from this idea that Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature, they say, well, you know, maybe it's like you know when people take. Um, and people get their red eye shine and their photographs, and that's um, that's your blood vessels reflecting, and it just no, nothing really seems to fit because a lot of these stories that you see are almost like you remember the uh, like depictions of Smaug, right? You know, he looks around, and he's got like like uh, spotlight eyeballs. Um, in the Hobbit, uh, in case anybody <laughs> was wondering about that reference. Um, yes. <laughs> so like that, I don't know about that. This seems like it would really interfere with being able to see. Um, and you know, well, maybe there is some bioluminescence and like, okay, that's, that's fine. There's a precedence for that. I'm not sure how much of a precedence there is for that in eyeballs. And there sure as heck isn't a precedent for that. in uh, in, in, you know, mammals. So you're sort of left again with the fact that, okay, maybe Bigfoot is flesh and blood, but if these stories are to be believed, it's a really weird, it's like the most unique flesh and blood creature on the planet. I was going to say, because with researcher, God, the Bigfoot community is going to hate me, but I'm not really all that worried about it, but they kind of just pick and choose what they need to, to make it fit the legend, like the flesh and blood people will pick and choose what they need to, to make it fit with whatever the sighting is. So if they say it was bioluminescent eyes, well, that would just be eye shine. And there's only one, um, there's only one primate that actually has reflective eyes like that. And, um, Oh Jesus. It's a lemur, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, It's a lemur. lemur. It's a species of lemur. Yeah. And that's, that's, which is, you know, the more, it's a more primitive primate, you know? And, and if, if stories are to be believed, Bigfoot is like a pretty advanced primate, probably, you know, subhuman or or parallel to us in terms of you know evolutionary yeah. <laughs> so, um, so and but but you know um it's the same thing it's the same problem that i run into with the ufo crowd it's like you know everybody's been talking about this forthcoming magical disclosure and it's like okay fine uh, okay fine let's let, let's say it comes out and it says that they're aliens you gotta explain to me why dead relatives show up in abductions You've got to explain to me right. why experiencers have synchronicities, strings of synchronicities that stretch into the future and back into their past. Like, if it's aliens, it's effing weird aliens, you know? <laughs> well, like, see, that's where me and you have clashed before because I've been – and I've said, well, not all, I don't think all UFOs are aliens. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with flesh and blood UFOs flying around. Flesh and blood – well, okay, m- nuts and bolts, whatever. The physical UFOs that's, flying around. That's pretty groovy too though. I like I like a big fleshy UFO. Well, you do have the sightings <laughs> of like giant flying jellyfish and things like that. You know, right. you well, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. My, uh, my problem with TikTok – we'll go with that because that's what's in the news right now is, – is, yeah, they, they kind of have a half – bit of disclosure and at least saying now they're like well we can't rule it out but i'm sure that's tongue-in-cheek but if you look at our technology today you can't tell me that if that's a terrestrial object they don't know where it came from where it flew to they we can't be that far behind their technology to at least know so i mean 
it still goes back to the exact same trope of, well, you know, is it us just covering up our own technology? Is it us saying, oh, we don't understand because we don't want to admit that we also have that or that it's ours to begin with? We get nowhere, but I guess it's at least something for them to be like, well, we don't know. I I feel that, you know, the big four with fairies, UFOs, Bigfoot, and ghosts, that it's become the cafeteria Catholics of the paranormal. You know, like you were saying, Ro, they're they're cherry-picking and picking out, well, this goes with what I believe, so I'm going to take that one, but so this one must be crap. And this one over here, that's kind of like what I was saying, so we'll include that in the show Diversity. But, I mean, where do you think it's going to go? Where can it go from here? Part of what I... Part of what some of my books are about is because I, I could be accused of the same thing, right? Like I'm very uh, sympathetic towards this a uh, more spirit based hypothesis, of, or the you know the fa- everything's fairies with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything's fairies, right? So, so I look at that and I say, okay, well, what what doesn't fit in that model? Let's take a look at implants. Oh uh, well, there's a long-standing tradition of the fairy blast that used to put like little bits of debris, little bits of splinters, and you know rock, and even like you know bone in people's hands as revenge from the fairies. Okay, well that that seems like it's consistent, um, you know. Uh, and then the hybrid thing. Well, how does the hybrid thing fit in with? Fa- oh, okay, well there's there's you know this long-standing tradition of you know fairy human hybrids, and uh, and you know the changelings sound a lot like the descriptions of some of these these. Uh, these uh, cha- changing sound like descriptions of these hybrids as well, and then now with this book that I'm working on right now, um, you know, it's 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 the this, this, the jumping off point was Anne Streber's famous quote to Whitley after reading all those letters that they got after communion. Whitley, this has something to do with death. I don't know. I mean, I still don't, but I have a better idea what to do with that. And it's something that I've avoided, the dead relatives and abductions. Something else I've avoided is, like, these stories of pre-birth arrangements with aliens and people, like, having memories of being assigned by aliens to their their their, their earthly body. Like, I avoid that stuff like the 10-foot pole. But if I'm going to be intellectually honest about having a position on this, I've got to find a way to reconcile that. And the way to, you know, the way out is through. I've got to go into that and sit with the stuff that makes me uncomfortable and see if I can yeah. find some way to justify that within my model. Extraterrestrial adherents of the extraterrestrial hypothesis say, ah, it doesn't exist. It's not, it, that's, all, that's all malarkey. You know? Same thing with the Bigfoot people who are convinced it's flesh and blood. Well, that's just, those people are crazy or it's coincidence. Some, somebody actually wrote Tim and was like, any high strangeness around Bigfoot is either BS or coincidence. It's you like, can't do okay, that, though. You can't do that, no. You can't cherry-pick the evidence and the people that you're talking. God, that annoys the living shit out of me so yeah. bad when well, people do I've, that. Being a Bigfoot person, what I have noticed personally, talking to big people and be, Bigfoot people and being around them as long as I have, I've watched some of my close friends change their perception because they run out of excuses. They run out of things to call it. So then they start having to admit what they're that they were wrong and that this probably is not just a flesh and blood creature. And there's a term that's floating around the Bigfoot world right now. Um, rather than be a woo, it's you're woke. So, oh God. Yeah. I'm woke. There's your book, Josh. Oh man, woke foot, woke, woke, yeah. woke geist, woke squatch, woke the woke geist. Oh man, don't get me started. What I was gonna say earlier was that I have. I have sort of a theory. I don't like to say belief. It's like the movie Dogma, because once you believe in something, you espouse to everything that goes along with that belief. 
but I've always had this kind of like, I guess it's the trickster idea that like UFOs, not all UFOs are necessarily nuts and bolts. There's, there could be something out there that's mimicking or aping these things. Wow, what a choice of words right now. But that's <laughs> doing that to just mess around with people. And it's the same thing with poltergeists. It's the same thing with Bigfoot. Like there's, there's things out there that happen that aren't necessary, that don't fit into the Bigfoot role model of things. So, it's not necessarily like, well, just just because a person saw a UFO and they had poltergeist-like experience, or as you said, they've had images of dead relatives and things like that, that is one of those things that goes into the category of other. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It, it, that, that just means it's like, okay, this doesn't fit with this model, but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's put this over here and just you know put it in a different spot because these things are all kind of intertwined in some way or another. Um, you have things like this that happen in nature all the time where something will imitate something else, be it for hunting purposes or what have you. Um, and if you're from the outside looking in and not knowing what's going on, you go, oh, that's a UFO. Uh, that's, that's, you know, if it's a forest spirit, well, that's, that's a Bigfoot, you know, where it's not necessarily just because you saw a UFO, it doesn't necessarily mean it's nuts and bullets and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that's messing with our consciousness, but it is a possibility. And when I bring that up, people get so pissed off at me. They kind of just like, I'm, I'm, I instantly become the guy that's sitting alone at the lunch table in the lunchroom. <laughs> so, well, you know, you know a, a lot of my problem with the extraterrestrial hypothesis is that it's like Occam's razor, um, like incarnate, right? Because, if if you are to if you are to again if you're op- to openly and honestly believe uh, a lot of these accounts, we're not just being visited by one species; we're being visited by forty species with <laughs> an infinite array of spacecraft. And it's like, okay, that's that's a lot of variables that we're multiplying here, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so at the same time, like, yeah, I'm I'm not saying that there isn't life on other planets, and I'm not even saying that uh, life hasn't visited us. At um, at some point, especially you know in the in the distant past, I think it's entirely possible. Um, and also, I mean, it's it's sort of like along the lines of Are you familiar with this book? Nobody ever talks about it. It's a Kevin Randall book, um, the October scenario. I yeah. think I have that. Oh, shit. it's it's, it's a strange book um, because it is really one of weird. His... I never finished it. I started reading it, and for whatever reason, I just never picked it back up. And you know, I, I've got I've got a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. Um, what, one, one of the, the 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 idea, and what's cool is that you know, obviously, if you look at his work since then, he doesn't believe this, but he was playing with an idea. It's a thought experiment, right? His idea was that um, was that there was actually there was a flap in October of 1973, and uh, that that was an actual visitation event, and everything after that has been something else you know uh, so either you know See, that's some, psychosocial though, because, again that put, once you get into that frame of mind it kind of discounts everything else that goes on. i don't know I'm, I'm one of those people that kind of sits back and looks everything as a whole you know i'm it's I'm interesting I'm not, that i mean i'm not saying i i agree with it i'm just saying it's 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 interesting yeah um and and you know i think that's i mean that's that's what i love about um that's what i love about this this con Carolinas that I'm at right now is because I think I mentioned this off the air, but um, it's 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 a really ghost hunting centric uh, paranormal track. But there, the, the folks like you know Tally Johnson and Alec, Alex Matsuo, um, she's cool. I like they, her. 
they're, they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're both really cool. And like, I can say things, you know, when they're talking about getting responses back during a haunting, they can talk about it being a spirit. And I can say, or have you considered the idea that it was one of your team members somehow projecting themselves? And they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's a good point too. You know, they're, they're not dogmatic about it. So, and, you know, I, even stuff that should, that should seem open and shut, like a ghost coming through and saying, hi, I'm, you know. This sounds like conversations me and Ash have had many times. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so, so it should seem it should seem open and shut if somebody says, you know, I'm Bob McSnortle and I died, you know, June twenty fifth, nineteen seventy three, because I was kicked in the head by a cow. And you can find that in the historical record. And there really was a Bob McSnortle who made a death pact to come back and haunt his relatives. Like it seems like it's open and shut, but you still can't say that it's Bob McSnortle. Um, right. So yeah, so, so I guess what I'm saying is that like. You, you, I think like um I think that militant agnosticism is, is warranted in these topics. I think um, it has and to it's, be. And as, and, as, and as part of that, like that's that's part of why I like to push against a lot of the, the the preconceived notions because like that you have to be agnostic about these things and that agnosticism not only not just means, you know, I don't know if this stuff exists, but it means even with if you do believe it exists you got to push out all the boundaries and consider everything that's a realistic uh, interpretation. A hundred percent, or otherwise it becomes religious fervor. I mean, it's just well, it, it I mean, how are you how are you going to stand? Is, yeah. Anyone stand there? Tell me they understand what's going on about something no one can see. Sir, I have mean, you ever yes, been to a UFO convention? But, oh, right, I know. But it, it's, I mean, it's, we need to have that more. We don't know what it is. Let's gather the information. Let's follow the money, so to speak of what we have and see where it leads and stop ruling things out because we don't even fully understand the nature of reality and the nature of ourselves within the reality. How are you going to tell me you understand things that are outside our fringe? No one does. We'll all yeah. kind of find out together one day. Mic drop. Yeah, um. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's deep, man. That's really deep. <laughs> so. I think that that's a good way to think. Though, I think. <laughs> I'm going to ask the question here. The the big question that is me and you were talking about at one point that nobody ever talks about is the whole Bigfoot disclosure thing, which it happens in the UFO world. So what is the deal with Bigfoot disclosure? The idea that 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 somebody that somebody high up somewhere in the Illuminati or the government or whatever knows that Bigfoot is real but doesn't want to disclose it's real but it's it's coming someday that someday where Bigfoot is going to be disclosed as a real flesh and blood creature and they've known about it all along and and now mankind has reached this point where we're 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 mature enough to know this knowledge and the, the question marks that explode over my head like I'm kind of like that dog that turns its head sideways and goes huh so yeah, Bigfoot disclosure. Take it away, Josh. Well, um, so my, so I'm going to say a quick word about UFO disclosure before I get into Bigfoot disclosure. Um, uh, I love how you're choosing your words very carefully here. <laughs> no, well, well, so so like people talk about like how how earth shattering our a, a UFO disclosure that we're not alone in the universe like that would change everything, and I'm like. Eh, yeah. Would it? I mean, it would be it would be a big yeah. deal, but like I think that'll be a much bigger deal if, as I suspect, the UFO phenomena has something to do with death, and what the government, the government, the powers that be actually know is that no, you actually are, um, 
you actually are immortal, and uh, no matter how much we punish you to the extent of like even using exercising our will upon you to the extent like that we actually kill you, that still isn't the end for you. I think that is a bigger threat to authority than anything else because e- anything, even a parking ticket, like comes with it a theoretical threat of violence, right, by the state. Sure. And then you can continue down that rabbit hole until you're like, you know, th- theoretically again, right? That's that's how power systems are structured. So if it turns out that you really are um, an immortal spirit hopping from body to body, like that that seems like it would shake up reality a lot more than the fact that we're not alone in the, in the world. I guess what I told somebody one time is like, which would which would change your life more? The government coming out and saying, "Hey, reality is a lot like a lot like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind," or the government coming out and saying, "Yeah, reality is a lot more like the Iliad." You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> like, "Whoa, okay." Um, one of these I I had some concept of. So, with that in mind, um, Bigfoot disclosure: um, if Bigfoot is flesh and blood, you know, people have said that I think that it's because they're an endangered species. Um, you know, there must be, uh, because they always cite like the spotted owl thing in the 1990s, um, where they, where the logging industry couldn't, uh, cut down trees because it was part of a endangered bird's habitat. And like, maybe, I think a more interesting idea is that, you know, you hear these stories about Bigfoot being as much, uh, human as ape or even more human than ape. And, uh, like if that's the case, if these are like ape-like humans instead of human-like apes, and they represent um, an indigenous tribe that we have continued to neglect, like can you imagine the political fallout from that? Like I just think that's an interesting thought experiment. Like oh yeah, we didn't even give them reservations. Like we're just <laughs> we're just driving them further and further. Um, into these marginalized zones, and yeah, we let hunters kill them sometimes. You know, these these people, we let hunters kill these people sometimes, and we dispose of the bodies because it's it's not politically expedient to admit their existence until they can vote. That, yeah, until they can vote. Yeah. Um, so that's what I, so that's what I think. But you know, in terms of there actually being a Bigfoot disclosure, you know, I've, I've played with it some, and like, I really don't think it's. I really don't think that the government cares about Bigfoot. You know, there are these stories that Tim that Tim cites in volume two of this this couple, this pair of uh supposedly government agencies from some undesignated um branch. One guy is this big tall um like biker dude and another is a little Weasley, you know, G man in his suit and they sort of play good cop, bad cop with witnesses. And they've appeared like for decades at the same age, more or less. And they've appeared at very far flung you know, locales around the U S and some people have said that this must be, um, this must be, uh, you know, a, um, two actual individuals when it really seems more like I would say that they're, um, sort of functioning on the archetypal level. Like I think anybody who reads the men in black stories kind of has come around to the fact that men in black are not government agents. Like the stories are just too weird consistently. Um, they seem to be much more like a part of the phenomena than they do part of a government agency. Yeah, 100%. And if that's the case, it's so, so, so if these are like Bigfoot's version of men in black, it seems interesting to me that, 
you would have like a big biker dude because I think that the sort of people you associate with seeing Bigfoot, the more rugged outdoorsy types, would respond to that individual more than they would, you know, some guy in a fedora driving a, a big black Lincoln or a big black Cadillac. Um, but the other interesting idea, this is something that um the ladies over the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast mentioned, was that how like uh, it's it's almost like uh, uh wolf and a coyote and bear showing up at there because the big guy is sometimes identified in different accounts as, as bear right by name like he's right. mentioned as bear it's almost like a coyote and bear showing up to enforce the laws of the forest like <laughs> to protect their buddy <laughs> like an archetypal level like now you i've got, got the this vision of the show cops but with a coyote and a bear you know yeah you know. <laughs> yeah like the bad boys music playing in the background. I go to weird places sometimes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> you just sent my brain in the Reno 911. <laughs> <laughs> now, Shira, where, where do you where do you land on all of this? Um, you know, it's weird because I feel like a lot a lot of the, the 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 theories and the way your thought process is settled on some of this stuff. We're on a very similar mindsets honestly i mean i would have said basically the exact same thing as you would have uh, as far as the uh bigfoot disclosure i don't think the government knows anything and i don't think that they're really concerned about it i think you see a lot of these missing 411 cases getting shut down by uh, wilderness officers because they don't want that scenery they don't want that attention right. yeah no, i agree with that well you can ask about the toes or something like that too Something to do with uh, Bigfoot's toes or whatever, or because there was something about like five toes, three toes. I know it's really off topic, but I just popped into my head. Oh, the ba- the polydactyl shape. Yeah, yeah. That seems to yeah. be coastal differencing. No, no. Did they have three toes out west? Um. Well, in in fact, one of the I mean, one of the most famous three-toed tracks is barely. West of the Mississippi, you know, Momo in Louisiana, oh, Missouri right. was on sure, the western sure. side of, of of the Mississippi. But yeah, you find three toed tracks. Um, I think in the Anne Slayton Alberry book, Bigfoot, um, they they give a list of different states, including some three toed tracks in Oregon and elsewhere. Um, so for anybody who's wondering, uh, there are plenty of three toed Bigfoot tracks, and people have tried to say, well, they're hoaxes. Well, yeah, sometimes they're hoaxes, a lot of times not. People have said, oh, well, they represent alligator tracks sliding in the mud. Okay, that's fine, but an alligator in Pennsylvania would be just as strange as Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, almost. Um, But uh, some people have said, oh, they must be inbred. Now, that's an interesting possibility, but uh, you don't find them just in one area. Granted, there are a lot more three-toed tracks on the East Coast and a lot more on on Pennsylvania than anywhere in the East Coast, but you do find them elsewhere. But... um, you know, deformities like that, these toes, these tracks, it's not like one foot looks normal and one foot has three toes, right? It's They manifest symmetrically, which you wouldn't expect to find in syndactyly, which is, you know, where toes fuse together from uh, mutation, or clinodactyly, which my dad actually had at one point, where, like, somebody thought he was missing a toe and the toe was actually just kind of stick, stuck under under another toe. Um, these, these, these rarely, um, these rarely manifest symmetrically in human beings. And if, you know, we're going to extrapolate, we would think that they wouldn't happen, um, in, uh, 
in Bigfoot. Now, you know, the, uh, the Siamang, I believe it is, um, does ha- exhibit a f- uh, two fused digits on one of their hands or feet. I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't have the PDF up, but um, one of those two appendages, they do have um, fused digits. So, I mean, that's that's a possibility. But at the end of the day, you look at these three toad tracks, and they just look effing goofy. I mean, anybody who's ever looked at them, they look, you know, the the, the toes are all equally the same size. It doesn't look like if you can imagine your toes, like your big toe staying the same and like your, your, you know, two of your two other sets of two other pairs of toes, like fusing together and the rest of your foot looks the same. That's not what these look like. Mm-hmm. The toes are elongated. I mean, it looks more like a dinosaur footprint or a giant chicken footprint. Right. right? Um, the heel is elongated. The toes are long. They're all sort of relatively, um, Equal size. So if if you sort of take that that chicken foot idea and run with it, um, you find some interesting uh, some interesting correlations. Um, in some uh, medieval woodcuts, you have wild men riding these giant birds around the forest. Right. Um, you find uh, there's an interesting story out of County Tipperary in Ireland where a fairy queen got really upset that uh, someone was moving into her land. So she transformed into a bunch of different shapes, and one of the shapes was an ape with turkey feet. Huh. Um, so it's interesting to sort of, yes, I mean, again, I, I don't know what to do with this, right? I don't, but I, right. but I am saying that there seems to be some sort of folkloric precedent for something like this. And it's, it's a lot weirder than the, than the, uh, the three toed tracks. Now, when you see four toed tracks, they do tend to look more like, um, a creature missing a, missing a toe. Now, why they would manifest the same, that's, that's another question entirely. Um, and you know, there are, I think there, there are there are examples of two-toed tracks. Um, the famous one is the Traverse Spine Gorilla of Labrador, Canada, um, which they thought looked like like it was this, this basically gorilla that would come and look in people's houses at night, and they found what they thought looked like ox tracks. Now, what's interesting oh, wow. about that is that you start you go down this entire other rabbit hole where. Um, you know, of the idea of Bigfoots as being wood devils. And there is a chain of custody from satyrs and fawns, you know, half man, mm-hmm. half goats. There's a sure. chain of custody from that to the wild man archetype to Bigfoot. And, of course, satyrs and fawns are um, what people, you know, sort of appropriated that imagery for depictions of Satan as well. Right. Again, I don't know what the hell to do with that, <laughs> but but yeah. it's interesting that there is there is that chain of custody, and you do have these examples of of uh, of you know two toed or like cloven hoofed Bigfoot. Um, There's yeah. an Arabic like Bigfoot creature called a salwa, which is they're always portrayed as female. They're always Bigfoots, but they're also play the role of a succubus. So you have this female Bigfoot like creature, and I believe that one has three toes as well. They have like bird feet kind of thing. But they apparently show up in the night, and if you're a male, they can polymorph into a beautiful woman, and then they do the whole hag-written thing where they have sex with you all night long and steal your energy from you. Um, you know, that, I'm going to have to research that thing. part further. What? <laughs> Sorry. just came out of nowhere. No, that, that's, that's, 
<laughs> I'm gonna have to go away, mom. I'm walking around. Mom, I'm trying to get it on with the solo. I'm investigating bank fight. <laughs> oh man, I wrote uh, a quick aside. Have you gone down this rabbit hole of people who like make My Little Pony tulpas to be intimate with? What? Oh. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's go down this Whoa. rabbit hole real quick. Oh, this is unexpected either. Wow. No, I, I, I I'm gonna let you do that because I. But it, it's there's a subculture of creating tulpas as as sex themes, and some of them look like My Little Ponies. Yeah. Brony Geist. Yeah, Brony <laughs> Geist. Yeah, Sparkle Geist. Um, Sparkle Geist. <laughs> Peppermint um, Pegasus no, has a whole new meaning. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. The, um, Friendship is magical. Eastern stuff. There was a quote in the Al Berry book where they showed um, where they showed some of these three-toed footprints to uh, a um, zookeeper at uh, a zoologist at the Baltimore Zoo, I believe it was, and the, he sort of cheekily said, "It looks like they like they they rushed the feet. If they are materializing in and out of this dimension, they rushed the feet." And like that's an interesting quote because you know you can look at. Um, you can look at, especially, you find this in uh, in fairy folklore too. But like you know, the sort of the de- the defects of the fairies, the defects of the gym, like they're perfect except for one thing that gives them away. And, and a lot of times in in gin folklore, the one thing that gives them away is their feet. They're either you know they have malformed feet or they have cloven feet as well. So that's an interesting little sort of tangential connection. Yeah, sometimes there well. they paint happy faces on them. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's sure. interesting. It goes into some of my uh, mythology research uh, with Dolos and Loki and all that, where he didn't finish the feat of the statue, and that's what gave him away that it was a fake, and it was actually a tulpa he was creating. That's that's fascinating, and that's the thing that I find really I find so compelling is you have these cultures that. That really shouldn't, I mean, you know, with the old world, you can make the argument that there was some sort of cultural contamination. But, you know, you have these things happening on the old world and the new world, too. And, you know, in in, uh, in Australasia and, and, and you, you see these archetypes and these, like, ideas coming across time and time again. And you're sort of left with one of three things, like either these things have some objective reality, which is mind-bending, or we had a global civilization that we haven't recognized that was transferring these thoughts literally between the old world and the new world, which is amazing. Or the most quote-unquote mundane is that we the collective unconscious is a real thing, and there are these independent archetypes that mankind accesses for whatever reason. They're baked into us, and we access them independent of of cultural contamination, which is like sort of the most mundane thing, but it's, it's still amazing, you know? And yeah, those are happens. really your three. It happens so much. You have yeah. so many people look past that. That's what like, I, I've always had this idea and belief, which is not – it's not foreign, that – Many like everybody has this idea that we didn't these cultures these ancient cultures didn't have contact with one another that you know everything just like the world spread out and we all discovered one another where it's kind of like you see you see this cultural contamination even with Aboriginals and Native Americans where these ideas are spread across the world that they shouldn't they shouldn't know the things about they, they shouldn't have the similarities and stories that they do. You know, like uh, the Norse and the Vikings were in America long before it was discovered by Christopher Columbus. There's been Chinese coins that were found in northern Michigan that are ancient that that shouldn't be here. The copper in northern Michigan has been found in Egypt, you know, things like that. So this idea that... 
Yeah, I don't disagree at all. And I think to support that, I think the the best thing to, and the easiest thing for people to research to kind of back up that idea of collective unconsciousness is religion, um, which I don't want to get into. Yeah. But religion is it's very there's a lot of similarities between religions who didn't have contact with each other. So well, you see it happen with Bigfoot circling it back around again. You have you have the Chinese Yaren, you have the 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 Xingxing. Uh, there's one in Romania called the uh, Cap Kuan. Um, every every culture has its Bigfoot legend. All around the world, you can go to any culture, even even in in Africa, which though I can't, that one slips my mind right now. But every culture has a Bigfoot or Bigfoot like story, and they all they all kind of they all have the same behaviors. They all do the same things, and in, in the old stories. All of them in some way or another, unless you get to the Asian stories. The Asian stories get a little bit weird, and so do some of the Arabic stories, where they're more, um, more. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to say demonic, but not as n- not as good-hearted, I should say. Whereas in Native American culture and North North American Canadian culture, and even to a degree in, in Southwest South culture, you have uh, they're more regarded as wood spirits and and guardians of the forest and very shamanic and things like that. The only differentiation in the stories is when you go to the other side of the world, then they become kind of an evil thing with with like harmful intent, I should say. But the stories mm-hmm. permeate all cultures, and the 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 Bigfoot story is that's the that's one of the big links between all of these cultures. They all have a Bigfoot story of some kind or another. Like you can look at the story and goes, oh yeah, that's a Bigfoot. It's described a little bit differently. It's still ape like or what have you, but it's that that's one of the big cross stories that goes through all cultures. So I don't know. What do you make of that? You know. <laughs> What can you make of it? You know, I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 one of the things I really like about you, Josh, and your work is that you, uh, I, I, I don't ever lump you in with like paranormal investigator. You always, to me, come across as this folklorist and sort of the anthropologist to the weird, <laughs> you know, where it's like you're not really putting your what I think this is out there. You're not trying to, to taint the story. No, he's somebody that and, comes along uh, and reminds I, everybody once in a yeah. while, hey, these are we're, – we're forgetting about this. You know, we're forgetting yeah, about these that, stories that tie all these things together. And you kind of need a person yeah. like that because otherwise things go you in do. crazy directions. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate that. You know, that's that's one of the things that I say to people, you know, it's the airplane question. So what do you do for a living? And, you know, it's you either say <laughs> – you say, you know, comparative folklore, which I think is actually pretty accurate. You know, I'm yeah, not like, good. I'm not talking about UFO velocities and, you know, gun cam footage, but Sparrows comparative coconuts. folklore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, um, and then it's, you know, speculative nonfiction, which is a little bit more specific, but sounds really highfalutin. And then they wear you down and you're like, oh, you know, weird shit. <laughs> you know. Um, but, but, you know, but that's, that's the problem, though, is like you say, I write about UFOs and Bigfoot and people make a lot of assumptions about what, what your beliefs are, you know. Um, and I always say, like, what you think I what you think I think about these things is not what I think about these things. Yes. And uh, so <laughs> I, I do sort of wind up in this and it's it, I never feel it more than when I'm talking to like, you know, people at a panel at a at a, at a convention or something. Um, like the audience, because like they just want to hear some cool ghost stories, and all of a sudden I start talking about George P. Hansen's The Trickster and the Paranormal and archetypes <laughs> and stuff like that, and I realize it sounds really goofy, but 
you know, I, I, I think about, I, I think that if, yeah, that if the, uh, that if the public can find simulation theory as palatable as it does, that the idea of something like archetypes sh- should be just as easy to engage with, I think. Um, and that's sort of where Timothy, that's the closest thing to a, to a conclusion that Timothy and I came from, came to, you know, I will we'll never forget when I sent uh, a copy of the book to, uh, to Patrick Harper to see if he wanted to do a blurb. He's like, great. I'm looking forward to reading it. What's the thesis? And I'm like, and I'm like, Bigfoot's weird. Like that's the, <laughs> like that is the thesis. Like there is no thesis because I, I think, um, excuse me. I, I think that, uh, over the course of the two books, like we don't land on anything. Like we don't land on anything about what Bigfoot is. And the closest that we would get to saying is that it represents whatever it is. It represents this wild man archetype that's been with us, uh, since we started having a relationship with the forest as, as the other. Right. Um, and, uh, Something, something elegant about that that I really like, that it can change with time and that it is always there with us and it's just sort of been this constant companion and, uh, you know, will continue to evolve with us in whatever, in whatever way that means. So where do you land on this? What do you think this is? Do you have an idea or a thought of what, what all this act like, with, with, especially in regards of the Bigfoot stuff, now that you've dug into it and you've seen enough of it and you've researched all these stories? Well, um, you know, I, I would have just been happy saying that, that archetype spiel um, before I started working on this current project. But uh, with this current project, I can't get away – I mean, the, the simplest thing would be to say it's all ghosts, right? Like that's, like that's, right. that's, that's, that's the, that's the poorly described version of the project that I'm working on. But it's, it's a lot more than that. I think that there's this phrase that, that Terrence McKenna was fond of using when he talked about the DMT space that I'm going to use for this, for this book. I don't know if I've officially mentioned the title, but that's, you can infer what the title is going to be from this. He sure. used to say that, uh, the DMT space he thought might represent an ecology of souls. And I find that really elegant. Um, because I think about the way that um, there is a life force that is sort of laundered through different things, right? Um, laundered through the human condition, depending on your views of, of reincarnation, which I don't know what to do with all the time. But I, I can entertain the idea that souls might be laundered through, to varying degrees, mountains and rivers and trees. And um, I kind of wonder if the paranormal isn't like sort of getting a – uh, a peek at the managerial side of that process, right? Um, you know, the psychopomps and the the sort of ones who keep the machines oiled. Um, yeah. So, um, well, I wanted um, to, I feel like that kind of goes into portals. I want to hear your take on what you believe portals are and whatnot. Well, it's hard to talk about portals without talking about, um, you know, without talking about dimensions and man, I, I, I kind of, you know, make my nose crinkle up. Like I just smelled a fart when every time somebody talks about a dimension, you know, because I, I mean, like don't let anybody try to tell you that they have any good idea of what another quote unquote multidimensional or another dimension is. Cause they, 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 they don't in the way that they should. Um, like we think of dimensions as being like a place that you go and that's not, that's not what it is. It's, and it's such, I, I think that there's something inherently 
impossible to articulate about a, I mean, like time is, we can kind of wrap our heads around time being another dimension, even though that's a, that's a stretch for us to think about, but like a fifth dimension or a sixth dimension or a 12th dimension, like we, we, I don't, it's not stranger than we imagine. It's stranger than we can imagine, right? To, to, to paraphrase Terrence McKenna again. Like, I don't think we are physically capable of doing that. So, so yeah, the portal thing. Um, I've heard, I've heard about it too many times to say that there's nothing to it. Um, I, uh, you know, it, it would handily answer some of these stories of disappearing Bigfoot to say nothing of the fact that people actually report this shimmer, uh, into which these creatures step in and out and sometimes can glimpse, you know, into the, uh, into the realm beyond and see something. To me, that sounds a lot more like a medievalist's other world than it does like Flatland, right? <laughs> it just doesn't, you know, because I, I would imagine that like, if it was an actual other dimension, like we wouldn't be able to, we literally wouldn't be able to see or conceive of what was in that portal. But people look in there and it's like, oh, it looked just like it looked just like Earth, but everything was yellow. And it's like, okay, neat. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't think it'll be you know, that one, drastically different. I think there's just like this bleed over, you know, which is usually my my theory yes. on ghosts as a whole that there's this bleed over either both with time and reality of different timelines, different realities. I don't know whether you want to call them dimensions or not. But I, you mentioned Terrence McKenna, so I mean, I have to go right to the, the the theory that people were giving for a while for abductions that some of the minor ones could have been spontaneous DMT releases in the brain. And that still brings me back to then, well, what is going on with DMT? Is there more there? Why is it so uniform in experience? Uh, is that, you know, so I, and again, it brings us back that we just don't know. Well, you know, Terrence talked about this at length in certain lectures. That he, had. He, would, he would quite often bring up the fact that he had talked to some particular Buddhist monks, and they told him that it was as close as you could get without passing the threshold. It was a, a veritable bungee into the bardo. That um, spot on. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I want to. I want to do a YouTube video of me reading the cat in the hat to my boys in that voice. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean that's kind. That's kind of where I am right now. Is like you know, DMT is like the the, the rocket fuel um, for the for the for the transition. Kind of right. Kind of what I'm thinking about. Right yeah, now. I mean, I, um, yes. dead on. But uh, but you know, going back to the portal thing, you know, I, the thing that really sold me on Bigfoot portals was several years ago. Um, when uh, oh names 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 um, when Banal had on Banal of America um, Adam Davies do you remember oh. the story Ro? oh god it's been a while it's been a yeah, long so, while so, so Adam Davies flesh and blood cryptozoologist um, absolutely you know He's doing great work. I think he might he might be the person who actually finds the orang pin deck and reveals that it's a flesh and blood creature. Like that's I leave orang pin deck room in my Bigfoot cosmology to be a real flesh and blood creature because partially because of the work of Adam Davies, right? And uh, he had been invited out to uh, the where the Olympic project was on some of that land, I believe, if memory serves. You can anybody can go back and listen to Tim Banal's episode. Of course, they've they've gone on to talk about this later. Um, but it was outed at like a conference, 
this experience that Adam Davies had. He didn't want to talk about it. Um, he didn't want to talk about it because it was just so weird and not because he was trying to suppress it. He was just like, I don't know what to make of this. I, you know, I've kind of got a reputation for being the flesh and blood cryptozoology guy, but I, I don't know what to do with this. I think and he talked about out, it on Radio Mysterioso too, if I remember correctly. Because it go back got weird. <laughs> it was like you could just hear this awkwardness in the conversation. And, and that's, that's confronting to listen to him talk about yeah. it. Um, because it's, he, he doesn't want this. And he's somebody who, like, doesn't want this more than the average person doesn't want this, right? Um, He's, he's ideologically in some ways opposed to it. Kudos to him for being able to talk about it eventually. Um, but, you know, on this property, he and the other guy who was there um, both claim that, you know, they were there to hunt Bigfoot. And instead what they got was this portal that would open and these little tiny hairy creatures with these glowing red eyes, it sounded like demon Ewoks, really, when you listen to it, um, would hop out and harass them. And the only way that they could repel them was to repel them with their flashlights, which they had a severe aversion to and would sort of disintegrate or something. That's a that's a bonkers story. Um, and it's coming from somebody who is convinced that a rang pin deck is a flesh and blood primate. And, I, and again, I, Adam has done great work. I think that he can he can... I think that's an attainable goal to some degree. But, like, that was – I remember listening to that. I listened to that interview that he did, and I almost had the same feeling that I did when I came back from Waverly Hills Sanitarium, you know, because I was being cheeky and I'd never really had – I'd had maybe a kind of kind of ghosty thing, but, like, I hadn't had a door slam in my face until I went to Waverly. And it's like, oh, the toothpaste is out of the tube now, and – I've got to reevaluate what reality is. That was my experience after Waverly. And I kind of got the first inkling of that again when I listened to that interview because it's like, this is, I really trust Adam Davies as a source. And the fact that he should be so hesitant to share this only really reinforces in my mind that this is genuinely bizarre. Um, I'm not saying it did happen. I'm just saying that I can't come up with a convincing motive to lie about this. And I think that from what I can tell, his character um, speaks to him not lying about it. And I, I don't know what to make of it. And that's one of the reasons it's so frightening. Yeah, but stuff like that, when that happens, though, it kind of gives me, it gives me faith. You know, it gives me faith that people out there can change their mind or that they're like, that, that you know, it, it forces people to go into a different direction and it's okay to be uncomfortable with things every once in a while. So, you know, it's, it's 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 in my opinion, I think it's pretty cool. You know, even though it's not something that he could wrap his head around real well, but it kind of forces you into a different perspective. And going outside of your comfort zone with stuff is like, like this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's because it's what helps you formulate new ideas and different thoughts and takes you down different paths. And as I said earlier, once you get locked into that belief stagnation, then everything be everything else becomes closed off to you. So well, it, it, re- it reinforces to me that that there are people still in these fields who have character, you know, who can who can be confronted with stuff and not just shrug it off. I think of Adam in that case. I also think of a good example that I will praise to the moon and back is uh, Peter Robbins and how um, all the stuff came out about uh, some of the stuff around Rendlesham and uh, and how that case is not as bulletproof as it, or as airtight as it once was. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know what, I've kind of made my entire a, a large portion of my career off this Rendlesham book, and it, it's kind of uh, 
not as uh, not as unassailable as I thought it was, and I kind of have to start from scratch. That takes a lot of character, and I will forever sing uh, Peter Robbins' praise for that. Oh, yeah. Well, we've had you on here for over an hour now. It's been about an hour and a half now. So um, does anybody else have anything they want to ask uh, Josh here, or... You know, are are we are, are we tapped out at this point, or I, I, I know I, Ash, you've probably got a bunch of stuff to say. <laughs> I well, I do, but I will say, uh, it just shorten it down to those two books, those two volumes are like my Bible right now. <laughs> it has everything <laughs> oh, <that's>... in it, <laughs> has everything in it that I love so much, and that I've actually worked on or I'm working on currently. So it's really nice to see all that stuff in one place where. I can just read it all at once. So kudos to you. I love the books, and you guys did an amazing job on it. Yeah, 100%. That, that's very humbling. It's very humbling. I really appreciate it. Um, I think Timothy and I set out to be um, comprehensive but not exhaustive uh, because I don't don't know if you could be entirely exhaustive and still make it a readable <laughs> volume. So right. well, we tried to throw as much stuff in there as we could. When these two guys got their copies of the book, I was like, you can literally pick a page and just start reading. You know, it's not laid yeah. out. It's not laid out in a particular order where you have to start here and go here. It's one of, it's kind of, it's, it's like a neat little bathroom reader. You can just flip a page and start reading in it because it doesn't have like a joined narrative like that. It's just cases. <laughs> and, I, don't, I don't know how to put it. Um, it's, 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 well, it's we, just cases and examples of things and how the things tie in together. So you can really just start anywhere in it. And you can, if you want to, you can go through and cherry pick and stuff what you want out of it. So, and, but the way that they're written, you have one is the evidence and one is the stories or what have you. So they go hand in hand pretty well. It's, it, they're both great books. I mean, they're, they're great reference material. So that's, they fit real nicely into my bookshelf. I'll put it that way. Well, thank you. That, that, that really means a lot. Yeah, there are some, there are some things that I want. I was pretty adamant about hanging together because, like, I can't separate fairies and UFOs at this point. So, I want to make sure that those two chapters were back to back because you're if you talk if stuff you talk about in one is applicable to the other, really. So, some of that stuff hangs together. Um, you know, there's plenty of folklore in the evidence book and plenty of evidence in the folklore book. But uh, yeah, it was it came together, and um, I can't really emphasize how. Um, how humbled I am, and Timothy as well, which, which shares this uh, opinion. How humbled at uh, the reception that's gotten. Um, it's it's done better than we could have ever imagined, um, and uh, it's because of wonderful people like you who are so supportive that we have to thank for that. So Aww. thank you so much. It means a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, you you definitely deserve it for these books because there's there's I, I it's like the Ripper theory you know bigfoot's reached this point where the book a lot of the books coming out anymore just like up oh, case closed i have it figured out or it's obviously this it's going to be this there's going to be disclosure here's what it all is and there's orbs and you you just put the stories out there and i think that's just even more important than people's theories at at this point just Give us the stories. Give us the facts. Show us what's going on. It doesn't matter whether this story coincides with that guy's story or this guy's story. What is happening here? That yeah. Somewhere amongst all those stories is the truth. And Well, well, as St. Terry once said, if it's real, it can handle the pressure. That's right. <laughs> so. God, that voice creeps me out when you do that. 
it's the it, it's the mushrooms. That's what it is. Yeah, right. We're gonna let you go. So, as always, where can people find your books? Find your website, and with what you're working on now, how soon do you think that'll be out? I can be found at joshuacutchin.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. Um, there are links to all my books there, uh, available from a bride, bride, a bride, 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 bride. <laughs> available from a broad variety of, um, <laughs> of online booksellers. Uh, I will say that if you have any way of supporting your brick and mortar store, please do that. Um, yeah. But uh, there, there are links to all that on the website, um, links to all my interviews that I've done. Um, I will be – I think the next conference that I have coming up is uh, Strange Realities 2021 uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. I will be there in person. That's in October. Um, it's October, uh, I believe, 15, 16, and 17, if memory serves. Um, so that will be there um, with a all-star cavalcade of, of people. Um the next thing that is actually happening is not the book that I'm working on. Eventually, at some point, uh, probably in the next two months, we're literally like waiting on getting a blurb back from someone. Um, I have a collection of fairy essays that I've curated coming out um, called – the book is called Fairy Films, and it's about viewing uh, films through the fairy lens. So I'm a contributor, and I'm also editor of the volume, and there are books – there are films, rather, as uh, as with as broad a variety as, you know, Dutch art house films to obvious stuff like Labyrinth to, uh, you know, friend of the podcast, Jim Nettles, um, who uh, contributed an essay on Dune and Fairy Lore and how there's, there's an overlap there. So that should be coming out um, next uh, month or so. Ooh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can uh, get it out because it's, it's all – pretty much set up. We just got to get the sucker out the door. Um, and then the next book, book that I'm working on, Ecology of Souls, the, specific, the specificity of that title might change, and there's a subtitle I'm playing with, but Ecology of Souls, um, I should have completed, knock on wood, um, in September or uh, October. Uh, it's going to be a, he's going to be a chonky boy. Um, probably <laughs> about twice, as, probably about twice as long as anything else I've written, and I don't do that short now. Right, so, but it's it's going to be. I mean, I guess when it's kind of your your current views on your overall theory of the paranormal, kind of got to be long. So oh, that'll yeah. be out. Information about that forthcoming as we get closer to that date. All right. Well, we're going to let you go. Thanks as always for coming on here. I'm kind of glad I waited a little this long to get you back on. I probably won't do that again next time. But um, I, I like to get people. I was I was saying before before you came on. I like to get people at the beginning of the process or way at the end of the process because. I don't want to ask you the same questions that you've been asked 30,000 times, which yeah, I probably exactly. did tonight anyways, but still. Um, I try to like to take people into different directions with things. So uh, this has been fun. It's really good catching up and talking to you again. It's been too long. Um, plus, we all survived COVID, so hey, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like reality is starting to tr- return back to normal, whatever that was. But um, yeah, I'll bug you again, and we'll we'll do this again. Uh, you know, when your when your other stuff gets out, as always, just say, "Hey, I've got a new book coming out. Let's set this up, and we'll do it." Sounds great. It was a blast, y'all. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. Thanks, y'all.
Hey, welcome back, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that show. I definitely want to thank Joshua Kutchin and Rojan and Ashira for having me on the show and also for letting me post it here on uh, on my feed. And uh, we're definitely going to have Joshua back. Uh, he has a couple more books in the works now, so we will definitely have him back. And uh, a couple other new things. Uh, we also have a phone number through Google Voice. That is 302-709-1209. Do you have a weird story or have had a weird phenomenon or situation? Call us up. Leave a message. Maybe I'll play it on the show. Or if you'd just like to leave a comment or tell me I'm great or tell me I suck or those I'll probably delete. But <laughs> but the others, yeah, yeah, give us a call. Tell me what you're thinking, what your opinion are on the shows. Also, YouTube, subscribe for me. I need subscribers because, uh, you know, working a nine-to-five job sucks, man. <laughs> so more subscribers. Let me know you guys are out there, and uh, I'll keep the content coming and less goofy shows, though there will still be goofy shows. But uh, more and more interview shows. Most of this season will probably be interview shows or roundtables, things like that. So that's exciting. And uh, as the show grows, the better the content will be and the better the guests I'll get. And the better guests I can get, the more you subscribe and I can show them that someone actually listens to this show. So, But for all those who are listening, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving your giving your valuable time to listen to me ramble and uh, stay bizarro, and I'll see you in the next episode. Be safe, everyone. Hi, Gaz here. Do you enjoy Bizarro Aficionado and would like to help out the show? No, don't worry. I'm not asking you for a dime. Just leave a comment, subscribe, or follow the show so you get each episode as it's uploaded. Comments really help the show, and subscriptions help it move up in the ranks among the other 4 million shows in the world. So be a gem and leave a comment or like or follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Chasing Z's, chasing Z's I've been high above my ass 